Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. Episode 41 of the podcast. 41. We're back here again for more history, more shenanigans. Yep. Um, and before we get going, I just want to give a little, I don't know, what's it called when you like warn people at the beginning? Spoiler? Not a spoiler necessarily. Trigger warning? Maybe not a trigger warning. I don't know what we're trying to warn. <laughs> so I'm just... I have been noticing some comments online around our podcast where people are like, not not historically accurate enough. Oh. Like, and stuff like that. I don't read their thoughts because they mean nothing to me. <laughs> and I just wanted to address the fact that me and Kelsey, I'm trying to explain this in a way that's like very like, if you're just getting introduced to history and these concepts and stuff, it's like fun and light and interesting and like an interpretation of history. My goal is not to be... Perfect. I can't put everything in a podcast. This isn't like freaking history on fire where it's like three hour long episodes. We're not your fourth year history professors. We're dumbing it down so I can understand. We're we're trying to make it more consumable uh, for novices or people and things like that. And as a like as a history person, I really enjoy people breaking down concepts for me I don't always need it to be so high level so I'm just gonna put it out there if you don't like what we're talking about if you don't think it's historically accurate enough for you you don't gotta listen there are plenty of history podcasts out there that I'm sure will satisfy we're giving you the history version of like a soft stroll in the park not exactly. the hard 10k you can do that on your own exactly exactly and you know to all the fans out there that have been writing to us and say that they love what we're doing thank you so much we really appreciate it and to the haters. So this be called a disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. There we there go. You go. I know words. You're so good with Even words, though I'm Kelsey. Illiterate, I can recall <laughs> words occasionally. But yeah, I just wanted to put that at the top because uh, it's something I've been thinking about. But now we're gonna get into the history, and we're coming back for part three of our saga of Catherine de Medici. Part three. That shows you know how important you are. The more parts you have. Exactly. Catherine the Great got two parts. Yep. Uh, Mary Queen of Scots got three. I'm yep. pretty sure Catherine's gonna get four because there's a lot of info here. So, Would anyone deserve five parts? I think there are some people that we could do that deserve five parts. Um, huh. Yeah, huh. I know. Sorry if you only got one part. You yeah. suck. <laughs> do more history things. Yeah, sorry, Ivan the Terrible. <laughs> you should have impaled more people. people. <laughs> we could have talked about you more. Uh, so when we last left... Uh, Catherine de' Medici. Yes. Her husband had just died. Yes. Her little French lover, who was the same age as her for once, uh, died. Yes. She's in France. She's in France. And... Wait, what? I'm what? confused right now. <laughs> so... Well, because we've talked about the scenario twice, and now I'm... One where it was the person whose fiancé died, and one for the person whose son died. Whose fiancé died? Or husband. So Catherine de' Medici's husband has died. And who was its son that just died? So no one's son has just died, just yet. Catherine's son has inherited the throne and has become king. Oh, and he's engaged to someone, though. He's already married to Mary Queen of Scots. And he's going to die soon. Sorry, yes. that's where I'm getting this all confused. Yes. This is a web of... There's death and family and this is part three. Power. There's a lot of stuff going on. Like first one was her childhood, which was really complicated. The second one was introducing you to the court, her husband. That shit's all complicated. Okay. Now we're back. So she's queen of France. Her husband's died. Her sickly child has taken the throne. Married to Mary Queen, queen of Scots. Scots. 
she really likes them both, but we foreshadow that he's going to die because that was in a previous episode. Exactly. Okay, I'm all caught up now. Perfect. So Han- Francis is frail and weak, um, and so he's quickly... I mean, he puts on, like, a crown and he, like, slumps over. He's like, I can't. Exactly. He's not, he's not, like, a... Like a buff dude. And if you listen to our Mary Queen of Scots episode, there's a show called Rain. If you want to listen to my rant about that, listen to those episodes where, like, they joke about it on the show. Like, everyone says you're so frail and weak. It's just gossip. It's like, nah, he was actually frail and weak in real life. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) A slight breeze just blew him over one day. Exactly. And he's 15 years old, so technically he's not the age of majority. Technically he's not old enough to rule on his own. But instead of his mother stepping up to the plate immediately, uh, he is really taken under the wing of and starts to be controlled by the Duke of Guise, who is Mary Queen of Scots' uncle. He sounds like the Duke of Guise, and that sounds terrifying. There's going to be three royal names that we talk about in this episode. There's going to be the Guise, there's going to be the Valois, and there's going to be the Bourbons. I like Bourbons. Those sound the coolest. And I think you'll like them more as I talk about them. The Geese are just like, (laughs) what? Does this sound Geese me? So, the Duke of Guise quickly takes control. He moves himself into the royal palaces in Paris. Um, And he is like, Catherine, you can have, like, a ceremonial position, but, like, (laughs) I'm in charge. And Catherine takes this ceremonial position, and she runs with it. Remember... King Henry's mistress, this woman that was oh, like Oh, yeah, the old ancient. six-year-old woman that, yes. You can check out our Instagram. I Ugh. posted a picture of her. Um, Why, Henry? Well, with this new power, yeah. Catherine goes to her and is like, so all the jewels and all the stuff that Come Henry gave to you. Me. Those were a loan. <laughs> you need to give them back to me. Yeah. Which is like the bitchiest move, but I like totally dig it. And you're going to give me all these things back and you're going to go live on the streets and you're going to be sad. Exactly. That's your job now. So, the big thing about the Guise family is that they are Catholics to the end. They love Catholicism. Catholicism is their lives. Um, And they really hated the Protestants in the country, which were known as the Huguenots. Goddamn Protestants. Yeah, they really didn't like them, and they didn't like the idea that they could practice their own religion quietly in the corner. They're like, no, 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 not in France. We're Catholic. Although they're both still Christianity, are they not? They are. They're just slightly different forms of it. And one got really angry. Well, we'll both got angry at the other. Ugh. But yeah, they're getting okay. they're getting pissed at each other. And so um, the Duke of Guise begins prose- like persecutions against Protestants in Francis's name. Okay. So he's like, "We gonna kill all the Protestants." Francis is fifteen year old boy got my back, and Francis just like nods his head because he. Because the weight of his crown is pushing it down. It's just too much he, for him. He can't hold it up, so it looks like he's nodding. So he's kind of inciting this violence, this anger, whereas Catherine is trying to be more moderate. Like, She's cool like, roll there, guy. I love me some Catholicism. Me and the Pope, we were tight. Yeah. I was tight with two Popes. The Pope yeah. freaking married me. I love Catholicism. But also, like, if they're not doing anything, why bother them? Kind yeah. Of thing. So, like the rational point of view, um, in this attempt, don't she, start a war where there's no need. Exactly. So she's trying to be more moderate here and kind of like help everybody's tempers because a branch of the royal family. So Catherine and her children are what are under the House of Valois, 
So they're the current ruling house of the country. Um, But a close cousin who is also related to the crown are the Bourbons. And many of the Bourbons have converted to Protestantism (gasps) and are Huguenots. They're all in France. They're all in France. So Catherine's like, I mean, we got we got to keep them happy. We got some Huguenots in the family. Let's try and not like make everybody angry. So the Bourbons are pissed that the Guises are attacking all the Protestants. So they start plotting against the Guise family and tensions just start rising on both sides, as you might imagine. So, I can't imagine, like, growing up and it's just, like, inherent that your family hates this family. I know. Why do we hate There's, them? They practice a slightly different form of the same like, religion. Because we do. Now shut up and eat your dinner. Okay. <laughs> okay, Dad, There's I'm something sorry. very uh, lovely about that, though. I know. It's, and like, really intense. It. Yes. It's like you have a purpose just to... See the demise of this family across the road. Exactly. And let's just say by the end of the story, there is going to be a demise of one of these families. I hope it's the geese. (laughs) Also known as the geese. The geese. So while this is also going on, like during Catherine's reign as Queen of France, while she was married to Henry, she was very spiritual. She believed in Mm. astrology, fortune telling. Horoscopes. Horoscopes, the dark arts. Like she believed in all of that stuff. Was she a Sagittarius? I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea what her sign, what what sign she was born under, which sun or which house or any of that stuff. But she really believed this stuff. So much so that she employed two brothers from Italy known as the Regeri brothers who would, like, practice fortune telling and yeah. astrology for her. They could speak to the ether people. Exactly. Yes. And she also employed Nostradamus. Do you know who Nostradamus is? No. He's, like, a super famous French, like, astrologer, and, like, he wrote these big books predicting all of these things happening in the future. And, like, not... Did any of them come true? I mean... When the stars align, the fire will come rain down on us. Most of the fortunes were so vague that there are shows where they're like, Nostradamus was right! And it's like, well, I mean... At one time, there will be this thing that happens. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be wrong or ever proven wrong of an... Like, it could happen. Exactly. Okay. So this is a part of Catherine's life. And as, you know, her fate and the future of her family is a little bit uncertain, Mm -hmm. she goes to these sources in order to get a fortune told. Now, we cannot confirm that this is true, but this is the story that is told, uh, that the eldest Regeri brother, Cosima Regera, um, goes to Catherine when she asks him to tell her future and, like, what will happen to her children and her family. And he asks her to look into her mirror. So she looks into her mirror and she sees the face of her son, Francis. And then his face travels around the mirror once and then stops and disappears. One year left. Then the face of her nine-year-old son, Charles, appears. Yes. And it circles around the mirror 14 times before it disappears. 14 years. And then her third son, Henry's face appears, and his face travels around the mirror 15 times. It just tornadoes. Exactly. 15 years. They're all going to die young. And then... That's my interpretation of this. Well, then it goes... She expects it to go to her youngest son, Francois. Um, However, it's not his face that appears to her, but instead... Um, a young bourbon son whose name is Henry of Navarre. So Henry of Navarre's face appears to her. So the fortune seeming to say 
the Valois, the Valois line will die out and the Bourbons will take over the throne. Huh. So this is the fortune that's delivered to her. I mean, but it's by the... Oh, I guess it's not... It's from a third party, but okay. Yeah. Could have been easily under the table paid to be like, hey, by the way, we're going to take over, so just be friends with us, and then we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. You don't um, You don't exactly know. Um, well, I'm the first person that, as soon as I got a lot of money, I would have my own personal psychic as well. Like, that's something I'd do. I mean, that's something important that you need to have in your life. Um, so in the autumn of 1560, Louis Bourbon, um, who is another member branch of this family, um, he kind of retaliates against this Catholic oppression that's been going on, all of these attacks. Didn't he not hear the fortune that he will soon, a member of his family will take throne? He didn't. He didn't hear the fortune. Only Catherine did. Only Catherine knew about these, these secret things. So he raises an army and starts attacking... Uh, towns in the south. So Catherine orders him to come to court and she imprisons him when he arrives. So she's like, you shouldn't be doing that. That's very naughty. My son Francis is mad at you. Yeah. Um, so he's found guilty of offenses against the crown and then he is going to be put to death. Could you imagine two adults like arguing and be like, my young 12 year old, 15 year old son thought what you did was not nice. I'm going to imprison Prison you for you it. Now. Well, hmm. thankfully for Louis de Bourbon, Francis became very ill at this point. He's only 16 and he's only been on the crown for a year. Um, oh, it's one around a year. There you go. Uh, he takes ill from an abscess in his ear. Um, and Catherine... Like, oh, so lame. <laughs> I know. It's really a lame way to go. Catherine, realizing that her eldest son is dying, she makes a pact with Antoine de Bourbon, who's the yeah. head of the house. She's like, I'll tell you what. My nine-year-old son's about to inherit the throne. He's going to need a regent. They're going to want it to be you because you're a boy and you're, like, a leader of the family. I want you to promise that you won't be regent so that I can be regent and I'll let your brother go and not kill him. Ooh. Does that work, though? Or is he like, I don't care about my brother? He agrees to it and says, you know what? That's all good with me. The kid's nine. I'm sure he needs his mom. We're all good. I hate children. Yeah. Go for it. So Francis dies on December 5th of 1560, the age of 16, leaving his young widow yes. uh, there. Because she was also about 16, right? Yes. She was yeah. around the same age as him. I think she was a little bit older, actually. Um, and then she's forced to return to Scotland yes. at that point because she's no longer needed in the court. Um, and Catherine is made governor of France because Charles is only nine years old. He's not old enough to rule on his own accord. She writes to her daughter, Catherine writes to her daughter Elizabeth when taking this position of governor and says, my principal aim is to have the honor of God before my eyes in all things and to preserve my authority, not for myself, but for the conservation of this kingdom and for the good of all of your brothers. So she's like, I'm taking control of this shit, not because I want power, but because someone needs to make sure that your brothers yeah. get to rule this country and that they're not overthrown. Which is really, really great because... Or else they would be. They would be because... How easy is it to overthrow a nine-year-old? Super easy. Hey, if, yeah. if you a chocolate bar for your kingdom, okay. Yeah, they'll totally do it. Easy. They're nine. Punch in the face if you don't. <laughs> As you know from our Baby Kings episode, Baby no, Kings don't, don't work. Don't they don't work. work. Out. 
So nine-year-old Charles becomes Charles the Ninth of France, and he actually cries through his coronation, which is really sad. Does he cry out of, like, he's emotional or, like, he just doesn't want to be there? I think it's a combination of both. Like, his brother just died, and it's, like, oh, time for okay. you to take over his job. Like, uh, I don't want it. I don't. And I miss him, and I'm sad because I'm nine. Yeah, I'm sad because I'm nine. Poor my days kid. of playing with my trains are over. Are over. Man done. Um, so, he's pretty, like, pretty sad about this whole situation. So much so that Catherine starts keeping her son very close, and she even sleeps in the same bedroom as him. Because, oh. like, he can't handle being alone. Oh, which is really sad. He's probably like someone's gonna come kill me, which would be my fear as a young baby king. Yeah, and that's her fear and too. Our queen, someone's gonna come in the night. The boogeyman's gonna kill me and take my throne. Yeah, mommy, protect me. <laughs> um, she also attempts, under the rule of her son, to make peace with the Huguenots. Um, Mm -hmm. and make sure that that gets settled. But unfortunately, the Guises are doing everything in their power to completely undermine Why do they want a war? Because they're really Catholic, and they're angry that other people aren't the same way. Mind your own stuff. Don't ignore what other people are doing. So in March of 1562, the Duke of Guise attacks a group of worshipping Huguenots in the south. He kills 74 of them and wounds 104. He has an army with him. It's not I just, just imagine him running around with a sword. Huzzah! Die, Huguenot. Yes. You cannot live today. You cannot. Oh. So he sends his army and kills all these people, and then when they're asked, like, why'd you do it? He's like, it was an unfortunate accident. Oops, I thought you were someone else. <laughs> Oopsie. Oopsie poopsie. So for he arrives in Paris, and all the Catholics are like, huzzah! And he's like, Yo, I did what I said I was going to do. I mean, by accident. <laughs> and as you might suspect, the Huguenots call for revenge. Yes. Because... As you do. As you do. Because, you know... That Someone was... just slaughtered 74 people and maimed 100 of them. You call for revenge. You call for revenge. So this is what starts off what are called the French Wars of Religion. And this is, like, a really complicated thing that lasts, like, 30 years. So he gets away with just killing all these people? Well, no. He starts the French Wars of Religion. But, like, no one, there's no law that's, like, you can't do this. He's a duke. He can pretty much do whatever the fuck he wants. He is the law. He is the law. Okay. It's awful. It's so, so horrible. So, basically, the French Wars of Religion were just, like, a bunch of different wars, all about the Huguenots versus, versus the Catholics, that lasted for, like, 30 years for some goddamn reason. Anyway, so this starts them off. So then, just to make tensions even higher, within a year of this war starting at the Siege of Orleans, the Duke of Guise is killed by a man named John de Porto, who is a spy (gasps) for another family, (gasps) which are called the Colignes. How, like... This is like a soap opera. It Everyone's basically is. Everyone's a spy. Is. Every family's against each other. Who's I, gonna win? Honestly, reading through this, I'm like, George R. R. Martin based some of Game of Thrones on this shit because it's fucking intense. <laughs> I will go undercover for your family and spy on this other family and then kill everyone eventually. So the Duke of Guise is killed by this spy at the yes. Siege of Orleans. He shoots him in the back. Oh, the best not way. even an honorable death. No, the best way for a spy to kill someone. Oh, at least be like, hey, 
Turn around. See who's killing you. <laughs> I want the credit. So this then begins a blood feud between the Guise family and the Coligny family. There's not enough family feuds anymore. I, there's not enough blood feuds anymore. No. We really need to bring them back. Yeah. We need to make them popular. Whereas, again. like, if it's between you two, anything goes. Yeah, just go for just it. Just get it done. Um, and Catherine, meanwhile, is kind of happy that the Duke of Guise is dead. Yeah. Because, you know, he just goes around and slaughters people and starts wars. He tries to corrupt your 15-year-old son. So she's kind of happy that he's dead. And as a result, she's able to formally create a peace through what's mm-hmm. called the Edict of Amboise in March of 1563 that ends the First War. Okay. So she's like, okay, we got a peace now. The guy who kind of started all this shit is dead. Let's just calm down. I mean, it sounds great, but if it went on for 30 years, it wasn't very successful. Exactly. <laughs> so in August of 1563, Charles the IX is officially declared of age, even though he's 12. Yes. So, I'm like, you're not immature and nine anymore. You're a man. You're 12. Yes, you made it to, you're almost in your teens. That's that's good enough. You are ready. It's good enough for France. To rule France. But Charles, as you might expect, isn't really interested in politics. Mm, as most 12-year-olds aren't. Exactly. Like, of course. He's like, nah, I'm, I'm good not doing it. So Catherine, as a result, takes even more control and decides that she's going to launch a grand tour around France where basically her and Charles and their court will travel to all the different noble households um, and they will have like masks and parties and, and everything like this. Basically the purpose of it is when you go on tour as mm-hmm. a monarch, you can request that nobles uh, let you, you stay get... at their homes. Okay. So it's an a... insight info. You get some inside info, you can also see if they're trying to raise an army against you. So it's a really good way of, like, seeing inside the house, getting intel, doing all all these sorts of things. And it's also a good way to stir up allegiance. Because you're Mm. like, we're here, the king's visiting you, this is a really big honor, you should be good to us. You should be on our side. So she goes and she's like, here, you must host me and my 12-year-old son, and then when you're sleeping, I'm going to snoop around your house. Exactly, and I'm going to get my mystical arts people to tell oh, me they're what's gonna going they're going to come in and be like, I feel some bad energy. And you're like, you're done. You're done. Just this is like all that. You. Get the sage. <sighs> so they're gone for 18 months on this Ooh. progress. Oh, so they're that's... they're hitting every spot. They're going to every single town. They're going to every town, every place. It's a world tour of oh, France. That's a year and a half? Yeah, it's a year oh, and a half. It's that's a long time. Long time to not be home. It it really is. So this tour in, is attempting to enforce loyalty, mm-hmm. and it does a lot of what it's trying to do. It reinforces the, like... He is the king. You serve the king. Stop being stupid. Stop attacking each you other. You serve this 12-year-old child. This 12-year-old child is your monarch, your god. Uh, Bow down to him. I think that would be hard to do. Um, exactly. Everyone that does, I think, is just pretending. Those next seven years are pretty tumultuous. There's lots of infighting problems, but there's a relative peace that Catherine is trying to establish. And the son lives through all of this. He lives through all so of this. So he's about 19. He's like a proper age to be king now. He's a proper age to be king now. So by 1570, Catherine's like, okay, I need to start arranging some marriages for my children. Mm-hmm. I need to get my children in place. Starting yep. with Charles. So he is married off to Elizabeth of Austria, 
who's the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. She's of good breeding stock. Okay. She's very pretty. Um, she's intelligent. So well, she can live with them? She comes and lives with them and becomes Queen of France. Okay. So great for both parties. Everyone's really happy. By all accounts, the marriage was good from yep. what I read. Um, and they have a daughter together. Okay. So everyone's pleased with the results of that. Um, next, she wants to figure out what to do with her two youngest sons, mm-hmm. Henry of Anjou and Francois, Duke of Allion. So is this Henry II? Uh, Henry Jr.? This is Henry Jr. This is HR, HJ? HJ. HJ. So okay. Catherine is like, you know what? There's a queen in England. Oh. Why don't you try and go and marry her? Yeah. So... Um, first Henry goes to try and court Elizabeth and then his brother Francois eventually does. Um, Elizabeth's explanations for not marrying either were that Henry was too effeminate and Francois was too young. Uh, Francois was, uh, 24 when she was 46. So significant age gap there. And Mm -hmm. then apparently Henry was too effeminate for her. So Mm -hmm. she wasn't really into that. Like, hmm. I know French men are supposed to be happy and gay and jolly, but I'm not into it. I'm good. She's English. She doesn't show her emotions. She's like, if this is my pool of suitors, I think I'm good single. Yeah. Um, So she really doesn't really arrange a marriage for them. Um, Her eldest daughter, Elizabeth, who we talked about in the last episode, who was married off, and at the wedding celebrations, her dad dies. Yes. Um, She had died in childbirth the year before. Unfortunately, she had been married to Philip of Spain. Um, So she dies in childbirth. So Catherine's like, you know what, Margaret, my younger daughter, why don't you just fill your sister's shoes? Why don't you just go marry her husband? Let's just make things easier. Oh, that's kind of weird. It's kind of gross. And Philip's like, no, I'm good. Oh, yeah, no. And Catherine's like, you know what, she's young and pretty. Margaret was just like, she was well-liked across the court. She was, like, praised for her beauty and poise and everything. She's like, we're going to do something better for you. So what she comes up with is she's like, I remember that vision I saw, if that actually happened. I remember... Oh, does she marry off to the bourbon guy? She's like, Henry of Navarre would be a really good match for my daughter because then... If he does inherit the throne... We still have a linkage. We're still linked. Yeah. That's her idea. So she decides that she wants this big piece with the Huguenots, and the oh. best way of representing that... Is this not that a self-fulfilling prophecy? Ah, uh, maybe oh, it is. Okay. So she's, like, the best way to get peace is to marry people off. So it would yeah. officially unite the Valois and the Bourbon lines, um, and this is going to be really great. But there's a problem. Because Margaret is secretly involved with Henry of Guise, the son of the Duke of Guise that died a little bit earlier. No! So she's super into the super Catholic dudes. Ah. Yeah. So when her mother hears of this, she gets pissed and makes um, Catherine be brought to her bedchambers where she and the king, who's 19 at this point, beat her and pull out clumps of her hair. Margaret? Yeah. Young son, beat up your younger daughter, or younger sister. Because she likes the guy we don't want to marry her to. So what happens every time you smile at a Catholic? Yep. We knock out a tooth. (laughs) Soon you will, nothing will be left to smile at. Yep. Nothing left to smile at. This is your punishment! (laughs) Um, so, 
As you might think, Margaret steps into line after this point. Okay, well, everyone's going to beat me up and no one seems to care, so I guess I'll marry this guy. So the marriage is arranged and Henry and Margaret are married on August 18th of 1572 in Notre Dame Cathedral. Okay. And this is like a huge celebration and a huge event and a huge victory for the Huguenots. They're like, finally... They were a project person in line with someone with the fr- in the throne. Yeah. Like, we're going to be okay. We're going to pull through this. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And this is a huge celebration across France. Goes on for days. And one of the guests at the wedding is Gaspard de Coligny. He um, is there to discuss potentially going to war with Spain uh, for the French. So he's going there to talk to Charles and yeah. be like, hey, we should go to war with the Spanish. I'd love to help you out if you want to do that. Let's." Does he have any like purpose or is he just like, a Spaniard did me wrong once? He has Let's political all of Spain. He has political interests in Spain, so it okay. the, uh, a war would favor him. Okay. So that's kind of of how he's this is selling going. the Spaniards weapons. Yes, he's like, so if we they're like we don't we have peace right now. We don't need weapons. He's like, well, I'll get you a war. Coligny is also, he has family in Spain, so, like, there mm. might be some Spanish interest there, like, let's start a war with Spain, get my family in a better position over there, wow. that sort of thing. So yeah, My if, family made fun of my haircut when it killed them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you remember, Coligny hired a spy that killed one of the Duke yes. of Guise people. So, the Guise decide that weddings are a great place to kick up this blood feud oh, that they've been yeah. feeling for a few Isn't years. That ends tonight. That ends tonight. And they send their spy, Mauveret, to shoot Coligny in the street. They're like, remember how you shot our dad in the back? Guess what, bitch? Or shooting you in the back? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So Coligny is walking down the street, do-do-do-do-do, just being his normal self. Yeah. And this guy's setting up the shot. And then just as the guy shoots... Coligny happens to bend down to tie his oh, shoe. Oh no! Who does he? Who does he shoot instead? He still hits him. Okay. It just isn't a killing blow. It hits his elbow and his hand. So he's not dead. Who he's, bends down to tie their shoe and throws their elbow and hand in the air where their head was? I have no idea. What? But I'm that's sure he the didn't story. Just fall. <laughs> Perhaps he did, but it saved his life at this point. So. Um, he goes down, it hits his elbow and his finger instead, um, and the king is horrified when he hears of this. He sends his personal physician to attend to Coligny, <laughs> he's like, we're gonna find the guy who did this, like, don't worry, we're on this. Yeah. The problem is, is that Catherine may have been involved in this plot. Oh no. So basically, Catherine- Is it because she doesn't want to go to war with Spain? It's partially because she doesn't want Coligny to have any influence over her son. It's also because the Guise family is really pissed that mm. a Protestant is marrying into the royal family. So if she's like, Noah, you can kill the guy that killed your father if you then chill out. Exactly. Okay. That's what we think happened here. Again, we don't have 100% confirmation that she was involved, but that is what we suspect was the situation. So... This makes it a little bit difficult because the king's like, we gonna catch you did this, and Catherine's like, Oops. yeah, sure, I'll put my best guy on this, and she picks me. out the buffoon. So Catherine and other Catholic nobles start getting together at this point, mm-hmm. and they start discussing. Well, the Huguenots are going to retaliate. Mm. Coligny isn't dead. The Huguenots are going to retaliate. 
things are going to get bad. What are we going to do? Throw a party. <laughs> for everyone. Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't go for a happy solution in this instance. Once again, we don't know how instrumental Catherine was in the decision-making of this particular event. But we're pretty sure she knew about it. Because what they end up deciding to do is that they need Kill to... Kill everyone. Yes. You know what? If, if you can't settle your differences, everyone dies. Exactly. So, before the Huguenots can return home and raise armies to go against them, they are going to kill all of them. Because they're here for this wedding, they're in the city, they're just going to uh, kill them all. So bloodbath at a wedding. Does the groom die too? We're about to find out. So, ah! basically what follows is what's known as the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Okay. It goes on for three days. And basically, Catholic forces go into Huguenot lodgings and murder nobles as they sleep. Take them out of the streets, throw them out of windows. It is a complete and utter bloodbath. Now, you might be wondering, Catherine's daughter, Margaret, has just married a Huguenot. They don't even tell her. They just leave her in her rooms to watch all these people around her die. So, does her future husband... To be die? No, he doesn't. So they're already married at this point. Oh. They're already married. Well, he, he has, they're basically to him. You either die or you continue on with this happy marriage. Exactly. It was kind of the situation. So Catherine's daughter, Margaret, is there watching it. Men run into her apartments and cling to her feet in order to try Please. and save themselves. Don't so, let them kill me. And she actually rescues a few men, hiding them in her personal apartment. Hiding under a big gown. Exactly. That's what I imagine. It's absolutely horrific. Colin Ye is found in his apartments. He's murdered and thrown out of his third-story window. And once the common people get word of this, common people start hunting down Protestants in the street, killing men, women, and children where they stand. People that just wanted to kill people and not ever get in trouble for it, they're like, hey, this is my chance. Exactly. The massacre lasts for three (sighs) days, despite the king's attempts to stop it. And Henry of Navarre and his brother um, are spared, but only because they pretend that they're converting to Catholicism. And they're luckily her oracles. Do they have any sway? Well, no, they're saved because, you know, they're related to her. Yeah, and they're like, now. Oh, I was totally going to become Catholic. Yeah. That's on my to-do list. Yeah, I'm for sure going to do this the minute they leave Paris and are safe. Nah, JK, JK, sorry. Kidding suckers. Sorry. So the killings continue. They reach out to the provinces all over France. Um, and they continued for months. They called it a killing season, in fact. And estimates suggest that over 2,000 people in Paris alone were massacred during these three days. How thorough did they actually do to make, well, it's awful anyway, but to make sure that they were Protestant or were they just going around and killing people? Uh, in those, are, I think they were Protestant. I don't know. Common people probably could have been more like, I don't know, I just wanted to murder somebody. But they were pretty, they knew pretty clearly. I really clearly. hated this guy, so I'm going to kill him and his family. Exactly. They knew yeah. who the Protestant um, noblemen were. They, they knew who they were, and they targeted them explicitly. This event tarnished Catherine's reputation forever. She became labeled what was called the Black Queen. She's making her people turn on each other and kill them. And she 
you know. She's okay with it. She's orchestrating this death. It's absolutely horrific. There's a lot of paintings of her post St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. And, dying. and just being like, whatever. They're like, she's the Italian queen. She uses Machiavellian ideals and like she doesn't care. She just wants everyone dead. And that's the kind of reputation that she gets. That's how she ends her reign. Not how she ends her reign. She's actually got quite a bit of time left in her. But we're going to pause so at this it point, there. What, what time? How old is she? She is in her late 40s. This is a lot to go on. Yeah. It is a lot to go on. So much, so much drama. So much drama. So many things going on. It's crazy. And this isn't even the end of her. As we know from her vision in the mirror... This isn't her last child that's going to sit on the throne. No. She has other... What was what was this child was... Uh, Charles was 14? Charles was 14, turns around the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. 14 years left. We'll when he was comes. how young? Nine. Nine. So he's Nine. only got till 23. That's right. Uh, so we're going to leave it there for this time. We'll find out more about what happens later uh i'm gonna post some pictures from the podcast uh on our instagram i like to see charles yep i like to see margaret Mm-hmm. i like to see these paintings of the bloodbath yeah i can definitely do that there's lots of portraits of okay the massacre for sure and like the massacre is a very complex event i am simplifying it here but if you're interested there's like so many things around it because it's a Really horrific piece of history, so people like to focus on it. So if you want to see those pictures, you can go to History Unfiltered mm-hmm. uh, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to email us, Kelsey, where can they go? I always get this wrong. History <laughs> Unfiltered Podcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Oh, I aced it. You aced it. Awesome That job. was a real first time. I know. We definitely didn't edit that together. No, which we didn't. That was going to seem like we did, but we didn't. I was, I was good. Perfect. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening, and, yep. uh... Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. You may be wrong, but you may